Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, the place where the Raider Nation calls home since 1998. And now, live, it's time. Harlow will go back into the gun. Jacobs cuts middle, walks in. Jackpot, baby. Josh Jacobs, touchdown. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. We have a good team. We have a good team that competes with stuff at all the time. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. We don't feel like effort's been an issue at all. It's the handoff. Bust toward the end Jackpot, baby. Pinion drink takes it home. Here's your host, JT the Brick. JT back with you. Our number two of the show as we continue on brought to you by Five Iron Golf. I will be there Saturday morning before the Rolling Stones hitting golf balls. Five Iron Golf inside Area 15. The best place to hit balls in town by far. The simulators are best. Food and drink. All you got to do is go to Area 15, go up to the second deck, go on in there, mention my name, club fittings, reduce prices on bays to hit balls. They love what we're doing. We love them. That is Five Iron Golf inside the beautiful Area 15. So here's what we're going to try to do. Uh, Demond's with me today. Bobby's off. We're going to try to get you this press conference of Rich Passaccia, I believe it's at 1.15, from what they're telling me, the head coach. Also, Derek Carr is supposed to speak. So if I don't have that entire press conference of Carr, I'm sure Q will have it, or most of it. Vinny's going to be there. Vinny's coming up here on this lineup. So we'll have you all covered here on what's going to happen. And now I'm all into covering the Giants, the team of my youth, even though I pull hard, harder, harder for the Raiders. Have been for a long time. Commonly asked question. I grew up in New York. I was a Giant fan. Been to their Super Bowls. Eli Mannings, Phil Simms, Jeff Hostetler, all of it. But I'm all in on the Raiders. They got to win this game. They got to punish the Giants. The Giants are a flawed team that is full of injuries, have coaching problems. They're a mess. The Raiders can't keep them in the game. They cannot be in the game. If they're in the game, it's trouble. If we're talking halftime, and this is a three-point game, trouble. Raiders need to be up. The Raiders need to assert their dominance. Maybe getting out of Vegas for a couple of days after the bye week will be the best thing that happens. And we'll talk about that. I think the game plan's going to be, I don't know what the game plan's going to be as we're trying to build that up now, but I'm thinking it's got to be heavy Waller and heavy running behind Drake and Jacobs. Run right at them. They play a soft defense. They lay off receivers 10 yards, throw underneath. Let Derek dink and dunk, throw eight-yard slants, and then get upfield. Do it that way. Don't try to throw into double coverage against the Giants. They did a really good job against Mahomes. Mahomes couldn't figure them out, and that's Mahomes. So the Giants aren't rolling over here. Steph McKenzie, kind enough to join us from 97-1 The Point. She's the best rock jock in town. And a, and a Hall of Famer. You are here because <laughs> I am congratulating you on the Nevada Broadcasting Hall of Fame. How does it feel, Hall of Famer? Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm honored and I'm touched. And thank you for everyone that reached out. I got to admit, though, I feel a little old. Once you go into the Hall of Fame, you're like, <laughs> am I old now? Is my career over? <laughs> I have the trophy. Isn't it a nice trophy? It's very heavy. A very heavy yeah. trophy. Very, very heavy. It was a beautiful <laughs> evening, and it's it's way fun. I mean, you you put all the years together. You've been doing broadcasts, and it's it's all I know. This is it. Yeah. Well, tell this me about it. What was the evening night? You got all dressed up. You look great. You go to this unbelievable event at the Four Seasons. You walk across the stage. You're a Hall of Famer. Chet Buchanan, your partner, a lot of other people in the building. Our boss, Natalie. What was the whole night like? 
Well, it was amazing because they honored so many great people. The Letizias were uh, mentioned, and they were honored. They were the honorees of the night, and, of course, the Tony and Linda Benici scholarship fund Mm -hmm. for those going into broadcasting. And when we talk about broadcasting, I think that's one thing I always like to clarify. It has a huge, huge, you know, big background. It's not just being on the air or being on TV. There's producers, and there's board ops, and there's, PR and there's marketing. So it's a lot of people that cover the gamut of what broadcasting entails. Fantastic. Step McKenzie. So after that, I mean, do you feel like a Hall of Famer? Do you sound better on the radio? All of a sudden, do you wake up? Are you like Jerry Rice, where you can run up a mountain and you sound better because you're a Hall of Famer? I don't know. You tell me. Do I sound better, JT? It's been a minute since we chatted. Yeah, you go. You sound very good. On a serious note, I know you cover it on your show. You're on very early in the morning. And you have people that are on who are up very late at night and driving home in Vegas listening to you. I've heard you talk about DUI and how devastating it is in this town. When you first got the news, when it happened with Henry Ruggs, what was your thoughts? My first thought was, remember, I start doing traffic at 520 in the morning. And that accident had come in. And when we do accidents or traffic in the morning, of course, it's like, oh, this one's bad or this one's this. And, of course, you don't know who's involved and you don't know what's going on except what report we're getting as far as shutdowns and rerouting. And then when it came in, I, I didn't believe it at first. I had to just really do a lot of research. I had to look at things. And, and my heart's broke. My heart's broke all the way around for everyone involved because this isn't my first go-round, A, with stars, but B, so close to home in our backyard. This is a problem that keeps happening over and over and over again. And not just being on the air on the Classic Rock Station or on your amazing show with you, JT, but I touch with Metro and NHP three times a year. And sometimes it feels so close to the fire because we talk about it every year so many times. They have a DUI task force, NHP does. You know, Metro pulls with NHP. NHP pulls all the agencies in town. And the one question we ask year after year after year is why. Why does it keep happening? And then you take someone at the level of rugs, and it should never happen. And I know we put a lot on people that have this credibility or this fame or whatever they're doing, but this is all he's done his whole life, and this is something that he should have never been doing. Step McKenzie joins us. So you've been doing this a long time. What do you think? I said before you came on, I just think it's decision that people make when they are out drinking and it's late at night and they think about where they're leaving their car. They want to wake up in the morning with the car in the driveway. They don't want to think through it. They didn't think about it before they went out. So now they have their vehicle with them and they're at Top Golf or they're at another venue. They're at the Venetian. They're at Circa. And they say, oh, if I leave the vehicle here, I got to get it tomorrow. I got to pay double. And then they take risk into their lives, and it seems like that's probably what began the night of Henry Ruggs making really bad decisions. Absolutely, and that's one thing that all the officers will tell you. NHP, Metro, doesn't matter. They'll tell you, every single person, everyone listening, if you do anything today, please listen to this. Everybody is one drink away from a DUI. If you go out, if you're at a friend's house, if you're at your house and you have to run and go somewhere or do something, you are one drink away from a DUI, and no one can judge anybody. But this is tragic. This is very, very tragic. And leaving your car somewhere, it's, it's so worth it. This isn't worth it. And we yeah. say it over and over, and we see it. Do you know that was the 117th DUI fatality in Metro's jurisdiction as of yesterday for this year? Really? That many? Yes. Yes, that's what I, that's, 
And it hits so close to home for us here. Yeah, it does. Step McKenzie's our guest. So we've spent a lot of time talking about Carr and his faith and his leadership. Man, hasn't it been put to the test with John Gruden's resignation and now his number one speed receiver on the outside? How do you think Derek Carr handles this? Uh, I think, obviously, he goes right to his face. And, you know, if you follow anything on Twitter or any of the social media outlets, it's just a lot of prayers and a lot of... One thing that breaks my heart the most for this team is everybody on that team, no matter how good of friends they are with rugs, Mm -hmm. they have to detach for the rest of the season. And that is almost like turning your back on someone, and that's really, really hard in this situation right now. But you have one job. And that's what you're getting paid for, and that's what you have to focus on. And they did a good job when all that stuff went down with mm-hmm. Gruden. Everybody did. Carr stepped up as an amazing leader. I think everyone on the team has done a great job, and I think they're just going to keep doing that this weekend. All right, so let's end this on a fun note. We need to have some fun. Yeah. It's been a tough week. So Saturday night's the Stones. You know, I met my wife at a Stones concert, blind, yes. walking in. So the Stones is the big arc in my life. It's at Allegiant Stadium, where I'm always at. I'm in the pit. I'm not in the back. I'm in the pit pit. I passed my COVID test this morning. And believe me, I was at Fish on Sunday night. I was in New York. I was in Oklahoma with 82,000 fans and my son at fraternity parties. I passed the test. Now I'm going into the Stones, I think close to the front row. What should I expect? Well, first of all, you can expect to win second row tickets if you still want to get your friends in, JT, with Fox and McKenzie tomorrow morning. You can wow. listen to Lauren this afternoon. We've almost sold out the show. I think there's little few tickets left, but the point has sold out that show, and people are so excited. And don't you love seeing the billboards all over town? I do, and I like the fact that you know, everybody's been saying this the last 10 years. Well, you never know if you're going to see the Stones again. And when I go, it's always a great show. The energy. I know these guys are in their mid-70s. They put on a party. And Charlie Watts passed away. Their drummer. They bring in their session drummer. They haven't missed a beat. When you get an opportunity to say, I saw Keith Richards and Mick Jagger and Ronnie Wood and an opportunity to see this band in a football stadium in Las Vegas where they've played their entire career in this town but never in a football stadium, it's a can't miss. And let me give a lot of love to classic rock and how it touches everybody from babies all the way up, right? No matter what Mm -hmm. age you are, because this, they say, will be, and we're close to it, the first concert sold out at Allegiant Stadium. Yeah, and again, people are people are just snobby about sellouts. I mean, I I thought Guns N' Roses was packed. I didn't see a ticket. The soccer game looked bad. But people, you know, I guess people want the full sellout. I've enjoyed the concerts there. And, you know, there's going to be smaller venues for other big bands here in town. Billy Joel and Metallica are going to play at Allegiant. There's going to be a lot of good times. But, you know, we needed to hear your voice today because, first off, I love you. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame. The Nevada Broadcasting Hall of Fame is a tremendous accomplishment. And you're diehard Raider fan. You are diehard Raider Nation. And you're going to leave us right now with something uplifting about this game against the Giants. Give it to me. I'm going to tell you that they didn't look good against the Chiefs, neither did the Chiefs, and I have nothing. I was like, oh, I I don't like to ever say we got the game. You know how I am. I'm superstitious. But we hold it together. Carr brings everyone. They shake it off today. You know, there's a little rumbling and everything Mm -hmm. that's happened. But they're big smiles, lots of hard work. This is what they do. They know their job, and they're going to kill it in New York. And I think it's going to be ready for my score. Uh Uh-oh. I am ready. Go ahead. 33-21. 33-21. 
Mm -hmm. from your lips to the sports god's ears. Steph, talk to you. Have a great rest of the week. Hopefully your score comes in. Yes, thanks, JT. I love you, man, and go Raiders. Yeah, that's Steph McKenzie. She's in the Nevada Broadcasting Hall of Fame with a couple of other members here in our building who I've congratulated all personally, and I'm really excited about that. Good to be in that club. I got in a few years ago, and it was a high honor. High honor here in Nevada where there's so many great radio broadcasters who made their careers here. And a lot of people not on the radio, not behind the microphone, behind the scenes, who get acknowledged every day. So that's where we're at. We're waiting on the press conference of Rich Passaccia. So that's going to come up here. And then Derek Carr. So I believe they're the two speaking today. We can get you on the radio in between that. So dial now on what the Raiders need to do. We only have two more shows left. What's the game plan to go and beat the Giants? And it's not as easy as you think. These are tough games. Remember, the Jets beat the Bengals. The Bengals are coming into play. you got to look at these teams one at a time. We all say one at a time, but the Giants could not be playing any worse coming into the game and have more injuries. So Lance Meadows is going to join us coming up here in 15 minutes. I'm really going to talk to him in in depth about the roster. I want to know who the Giants are going to line up in this game and what the Raiders have to do in some of the matchups here because they are in a tough time. The Giants are retesting for COVID-19 after a number of members of the organization tested positive. So the breaking news today from Jordan Renan of ESPN. Listen to this, everybody. This is the team the Raiders are playing. The New York Giants had a COVID scare of potential widespread outbreak heading into Sunday's matchup against the Las Vegas Raiders. But running back coach Burton Burns is currently the only known positive test. Burns was one of 13 members of the Giants organization, some players included, according to the head coach Joe Judge, to test positive on Tuesday. After retesting, he was the only confirmed positive. So remember, you could have COVID, you could be vaccinated. The key to getting the vaccine is you could test negative quicker, right? Do we get this or or do we have to figure this out again? So you can, if you're under the protocol and you're vaccinated, then you need a couple of negative tests to be able to play. Aaron Rodgers tested positive today. The breaking news, we found out that he is not properly vaccinated. Again, if he was doing a downward dog pose and they sprinkled something on him in his hair, that's not a vaccine. He wasn't properly vaccinated under NFL protocol. And according to the NFL, he has to sit out and miss the game. So we now can confirm that by not being vaccinated, Aaron Rodgers cost his team a competitive advantage. What worse can you do as a teammate? That's all we heard about, availability, availability. The best availability is being able to play. And Aaron Rodgers can't help his teammates because he didn't do what most of his teammates did. 97.2% of the Packers are, are, are vaccinated and not Aaron Rodgers? If that doesn't break the internet today, what will break the internet? And I think he gets preferential treatment. And I think he'll go on the comedy tour of radio interviews and TV interviews, and no one will push him on it. Saquon Barkley is among the players testing positive Wednesday. ESPN has confirmed. He's in the process of being retested. So this is a big deal. Barkley's availability was already in doubt as he recovers from an ankle injury. He's missed the past three games. 
reporting today from ESPN, the Giants players were lined up at the testing trailer around 10.30 a.m. Eastern. The team was expected to be on the practice field at 10.50 a.m., but that was delayed for the test. There was practice early this afternoon where Judge said some players were missing as they sift through the process. This is also the same head coach who said the headsets aren't working. Remember he said that a couple of days ago. So there are big problems hanging out now within the Giants. And does this set up well for the Raiders? I don't think it makes much of a difference. Giants are going to come out of that tunnel ready to play their tail off. Really ready to play. And we're going to break it down and talk about it. When we come back, we'll try to get you to one of these press conferences. We're waiting on it. It's a big crowd. I was over at the building this morning in Henderson. There's a lot of news trucks. A lot of news outside just the regular Raider correspondents who are covering this story. We'll go live to Rich Passaccia's press conference and then also talk to Lance Meadow, who's the Giants pre- and post-game host. We'll find out what's going on with the Giants and this COVID protocol. ESPN on the ticker today talked about reports of them having enough players. If they, if the ones who tested positive don't start testing negative. Henry Ruggs drove 156 miles an hour, seconds before the fatality crash. That's the biggest story in sports today, unfortunately, on the flagship of the Raiders. The JT The Brick Show is brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. JT, back with you. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves. On winning the World Series. That was a big story last night. Man, did they hit big home runs when it counted to shut out the Astros and win in six games. And that was impressive. This team was barely 500. It took till August 6th for them to be a 500 team. Jock Peterson wins one with the Dodgers and Atlanta. They did everything right. And the, the cool thing about what Atlanta did to win the World Series is they got multiple players. They got the World Series MVP. And the NLCS MVP from other teams at the trade deadline. That was fantastic in order to do that. And it's a really good example in sports about how you go out at the trade deadline and either you quit and say, hey, let's get draft picks for the future or let's go all in. And this team did a fantastic job. Uh, Solaire's three-run homer was magical. He's the World Series MVP. And Rosario had an unbelievable postseason, and he was the NLCS championship. MVP. So they did something. They got two players who were out of favor. No one thought that they were going to do big things with their former team. And then they jump in there and win the World Series. So the next time your baseball team is thinking about throwing in the towel at the All-Star break, you'll have an example now. One other thing, because we're staying on Henry Ruggs, we're waiting for the press conference with the Raiders. We're trying to figure out how to fit this all in before the top of the hour. Uh, there are not, not many people ask me because most of my friends know that I don't support the A's. Uh, the A's disrespected the Raiders up at the Coliseum. And there are people in the A's who said, hey, they don't agree with the Raiders. It was combative. Whatever you thought it was, I was privy to some of the conversations. And I know what was happening with the A's as they negotiated their 10-year lease to the Coliseum behind the Raiders' backs. That is fact, not fiction. And now the A's want to come here. And now they're putting out surveys. What's about to happen here is very unique in sports because I've always said this. I'm just a fan behind the microphone. Fans are very smart. So if you're asking a blue-collar fan base like Oakland, and they're not ready to move for years, 
you're telling the Oakland fans, who are many of them Raider fans, to keep coming out to the Coliseum to watch the A's play as the A's are flying down here to look for property in Vegas. There are going to be a lot of blue-collar A's fans that say, the hell with you, I'm not buying one ticket. And then you talk about a team that only draws four or 5,000 fans on a good night, and half those fans say, I'm not coming. You're going to be watching a team play in Oakland next year. They're going to have la- less fans than a Little League baseball tournament out in Henderson. And it's going to be a black eye for the game, and it's going to be all on the A's. Because if the Vegas deal falls apart, because, again, I don't know many people that want plural baseball in, in Vegas. I don't. Maybe you do. You put a baseball team, a pro team on the strip, good luck with that, with all those games and this weather in the summer. And then if you put it in Summerlin or Henderson, whoever lives on the other side of town's not going. Not. They're not going. I know who comes out to see aviator games where I live. I live by the ballpark, and I know how many people go out and see Silver Knights games from where I live and back and forth. It's got to be convenient, and I think the convenience of what's happening with the A's, along with their band management and their ownership that's one of the richest in sports, but cries poverty, is going to come back to haunt them. And if it comes back to haunt them, and they can't pull off a deal here with the Raiders, and they got nothing to show for it in Oakland, because nothing ever happens in Oakland when it comes to business, then all hell's going to break loose. And then baseball's going to talk about potentially moving them. So that's the downside in this deal that no one seems to want to dive into on their radio shows out here. But that's the real story as we continue on. A couple other things. I want to talk about the moving lines for the games coming up here. Uh, the Raiders opened up initially, a, I believe, a two-point favorite, two-and-a-half Now it's Raiders minus three all across town against the Giants. So even Circa, let me see that. Circa minus three, win bet minus three, bet MGM minus three. And the sharpest book here in town, the Superbook, has the Raiders minus three. Total on that game is 46. And then the breaking news today, which is big breaking news, that Aaron Rodgers has COVID and he's not going to be able to play. We see a big line movement when it comes to a couple of teams today because of COVID concerns. So for Aaron Rodgers and what's going to happen here coming up with this next game, I think it's critical as you know, a lot of fans are wondering what's going to happen with this team going forward with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Green Bay, Kansas City opened up minus two and a half. Now it's Kansas City minus seven and a half. What a break. What a break for Kansas City. Kansas City's been playing poorly. Now they get Green Bay at home in a game that they should have lost. And now they should be able to win because there's no Aaron Rodgers. So I'm looking at what's going to happen here going forward. This is a really important moment for the Chiefs. I'm one of the few people that believe the Chiefs aren't done yet. And the Chiefs are going to be able to turn it around. And the Chiefs are going to get a unique opportunity without having an opportunity to play against Aaron Rodgers. That is the type of break that you want as a football team, but you don't root COVID on anybody. So as we're waiting for the Raider press conferences, we'll get to that coming up here in a little bit here. It's supposed to be Rich Passaccia and Derek Carr. I'm on schedule to go out there and try to interview Rich Passaccia tomorrow if everything's in place, and we'll have that interview for you coming up on Friday as we continue here on Raider Nation Radio. Uh, Thrilled to talk to my teammate. On Sirius XM, he's also the pre- and post-game host for the New York Giants. Uh, same role I have here with the Raiders. Lance Meadow, kind enough to join us. And 
Lance, I'll tell you, there's a lot happening here in Vegas, as you know, very unfortunate with the Henry Ruggs news, and a lot happening with the Giants with these COVID concerns. How are you? I'm doing very well, JT. First of all, thanks for having me on. It's always nice to talk to a serious XM teammate through different airways, so it's good to be aboard here. Thanks so much for having me. What's the perception in New York Tri-State area on the Raiders with this 5-2 and two start, the way they played this year after a head coaching resignation and all the news that's hitting the New York airways about Henry Ruggs III being let go? Well, I think right now the Giants' main concern is to make sure that they have everybody accessible for their game on Sunday, given the COVID test that came to light, the fact that 13 individuals tested positive. But the good news is they retested a bunch of individuals. It looks like Brian Burns, their running backs coach, is the only one, Burden Burns, excuse me, is the only one that tested positive again. So I think they're optimistic that hopefully they'll get most of the players back and ready to go throughout the course of practice. As far as the outlook of their opponent, the Raiders that you mentioned, I don't think the Giants are in a position, JT, to overlook anybody at this point. This is a 2-6 and six team that has been very up and down. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, we've seen two impressive defensive performances the last two weeks against Carolina and Kansas City. But prior to that, they've had struggles in stopping the run. They've had some defensive miscues, and their offense has shown some flashes, but it's been a struggle to put points on the board. So this is a Raiders team that is more than capable of lighting up the scoreboard. I know that they're going to be without, obviously, their biggest vertical threat, Ruggs, but with Darren Waller, I'm assuming, returning to full health and a defense that is much better at getting after the quarterback this season compared to last year and the Giants' offensive line still a work in progress, I don't think they're dismissing them or overlooking them because they're in no position to do that at this point. Lance Meadow is our guest. Lance, I look at Daniel Jones. I'm a fan. I think some of the times and the runs that he's had and he's put out on his resume tape are incredible. I mean, once he gets outside the pocket, he's athletic and he can run and he can run downhill. But the concussion, some of the turnovers that he's made, the interceptions still that still baffle me from time to time will throw a bad ball. But then he can step up and have a really good quarter or two. He had an opportunity to win that game late in Kansas City. Walk me through that last possession and why the Giants struggled so much to try to get in field goal range. Yeah, they had a golden opportunity, to your point, JT. And if you would have told most people, hey, the Giants are going to be within three points of the Kansas City Chiefs with an opportunity to march down the field, get the game-winning touchdown or kick a game-time field goal, I think most people would have looked at you and they would have been stunned. So it was a pleasant surprise, and a lot of it, was because of the defensive performance. But with respect to that final possession, they held Kansas City to a field goal. So it was a 20-17 to game. And now they had to at least gain about 45 to 50 yards or so to get into field goal range. And the problem was the Chiefs finally had the lead. They were either tied or playing from behind, and that did not give Steve Spagnuolo, the Chiefs defensive coordinator, an opportunity to be aggressive. He's known for blitzing. You and your fan base can attest to that because you play them twice a year. So now all of a sudden, he puts Daniel Jones in a precarious spot where the offensive line has to do a better job pass protecting, and the Giants need to look to get the ball down the field because they can't, without any timeouts, they couldn't afford to rely on the short passes and yardage after the catch. So what happens is you expose your offensive line to Frank Clark and Chris Jones, Daniel Jones is sacked twice on the four-play drive because they ultimately turned it over on downs, and it played right into the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs. Earlier in the game, 
They protected Daniel Jones. It was a close game. They were able to move methodically up and down the field. They didn't have to go for the home run. Late in the game, they had to do that. It played right into the hands of Kansas City's defense. That was the ball game right there. Lance Meadow, my ter- uh, teammate here on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, NFL Radio, pre- and post-game host for the Giants in halftime. So I thought it was really interesting. I was playing on the show live when Judge had the press conference mentioning the headsets. You and I have been in this business a while. I know the headset guys. I'm on the sideline with them before games. That's their job. And then when Judge said all these other times, pointing out five different stadiums that they played in, that was very alarming to me. Because Lance, that's always taken care of before the game, and if it happens once during the game, they usually fix it pretty quickly. How big of a story is that in the tri-state area? Well, it's a huge story if you ask every single Giants fan, because that's all they were talking about following the loss to Kansas City. And Joe Judge was asked about that, and it came up because he revealed it simply because a lot of people questioned how the Giants wound up utilizing their timeouts because there were a few times throughout the game, mostly in the first half compared to late in the game when they actually had to use the timeout to stop the clock when you had to get the defense off the field because the guys were not communicating through their helmets to know what the right play was. And I can't blame the Giants for having that philosophy, JT, because if you're doing such a good job containing Patrick Mahomes and company, the last thing you want to do is now be caught out of position. Mahomes will take advantage, he'll throw a bomb down the field, and that could be the difference between winning and losing a ball game. So that was really the rationale why he was forced to utilize some timeouts. But I did not realize it was a trend. It was news to me from a personal standpoint that it was going on for every single game. It actually it reminded me when Ben McAdoo was the head coach to go back into the archives a few years back, they had an issue at a home game where the headsets went out and McAdoo actually and the staff were utilizing walkie-talkies right. like as if they were you know, a bunch of five-year-olds or something in their own backyard, and that's how they were communicating. So if they can't get this headset issue figured out, to your point, then I would assume you have to look at other forms of technology to be prepared to be able to tackle that accordingly. Lance Meadow joins us. Lance, growing up as a diehard Giant fan in Long Island and going to Super Bowls, and Lawrence Taylor on the field was my hero, Phil Simms. Harry Carson, this is a proud franchise. And when you look at the Mara family and the Tisch family now, the coaching changes that they've made, Dave Gettleman, it appears that if they don't make the playoffs or have a real turnaround, he could be out. What is the vibe around this organization? Because they almost seem snake bit. And I wanted to talk to you about that because of the Raiders. They're playing the Raiders, and look what's happened to the Raiders this year with a coaching resignation and this just awful news on rugs. The Giants can't stay healthy. And a lot of jobs are on the line. So what do you expect to see from this team coming out on Sunday playing a home game in front of that deep fan base? Well, you hit it right on the nose in terms of the injuries. And I hate turning to injuries as an excuse. But you know they didn't just lose a player or two. They lost multiple starters on the offensive side of the ball. You're talking about Sunday's game to look ahead to what you were talking about. They could very well be without they're starting running back Saquon Barkley. They're top two wide receivers in Kenny Galladay and Sterling Shepard, who now has a new injury that he suffered Monday night. They lost two starting offensive linemen right at the early stages of the season. The defense is relatively healthy, but you're talking about a lot of the talent that Daniel Jones expected to have around him. He just unfortunately has not been able to rely on them. So that's been the biggest issue as to, once again, why they're hovering around 1-7 and seven and 2-6. and six. The fight of this team, I wouldn't question. I think this team is still coming out. They're competitive. We 
saw that against Carolina. We saw that against Kansas City. So they're not turning to that as an excuse. The problem is it's like pulling teeth to put points on the board. They're not a very good red zone offense team. Meaning they can move the ball. They can't finish within the 20. And they can't run the ball effectively in some of those short yardage situations and also convert short yardage third downs. They were only 4 of 12 on third down, and 7 of those 12 downs on Monday night were for 4 yards or less. So, you know, this is where you need your stars to help you move the chains. That's been a huge blow to the Giants. As far as Sunday's game, the million-dollar question is the onus is going to always be JT on the Giants' offense. We know the Raiders are going to be able to score points. And the Giants' defense, I don't think, has proven that they can be consistent. So even if the Raiders put up, let's say, 22 to 25 points, can the Giants manufacture that much? I don't know at this point because I have yet to see it consistently. So that, to me, is by far the biggest storyline. As far as what they do after this season, they're certainly going to have to make decisions about do they want to hit the reset button or do they want to preach patience. I would lean more towards the latter than the former JT, and the reason I preach that is you had Ben McAdoo for two seasons. You had Pat Shermer for two seasons. Do you really want to know now go down the road again of Joe Judge for two seasons and now bring in a new head coach and just expect that that's going to change things? Eventually you have to build stability, and stability sometimes comes as a result of patience. And I don't think they've preached patience enough, and that's come back to bite them. Thank you, Lance. Busy time for both organizations, both teams coming into this game. Happy we could have you on to talk about it. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, JT. Appreciate it. You got it. Lance Meadow, Sirius XM. The great job he does. Giants pre and post. You just got a full breakdown of the Giants and what's happening with them. We'll have another Giants guest tomorrow. We go out to Henderson to the Raiders headquarters. Here's the head coach, Rich Passaccia. Players or our coaches or... Um our, our owner, our organization. I just know for me as a, um, as a parent and a person that um, cares about young people and uh, deals with young people every day, I really don't know if I could quantify what the emotions are. Um, so with that being said, I think uh, late last night or late yesterday afternoon, um, as time went on and the organization gained more information, um, I think you read our, our first statement, um, but I think as they, we all gain more information, certainly um, as Mark gained more information, I think our, uh, our, our team, official team, met upstairs, and, and um, I think we came to the conclusion, and, and owner Mark uh, thought it best for the organization um, to, to do that at that particular time. So um, I think there's two separate entities. There's Henry Ruggs, the football player, which uh, is no longer a part of the Raiders, and then uh, Henry Ruggs, the person who is certainly going through um, what he's going through, and is going to have to pay the consequences for the actions. Did you hear the locker room between uh, John Gruden's resignation and... Can you just be a little bit louder, please? Between uh, you know, John Gruden's resignation and, and this situation, the locker room has been through a lot. Um, I know it's only been a day, but how have you seen the group sort of pull back together uh, kind of in these challenging moments and attempt to move forward? Well, I think they're, they're, they're two totally separate, you know, entities. And, and um, so uh, I felt like we... We moved on from what happened before, and, and we've had a chance to play two games, and, and now we've, we've been confronted um, with this situation. And, again, as grown men, we all have to respond in a certain way. We're all forging our identity um, in life and uh, certainly in the locker room through how uh, we face adversity and how we deal with adversity. That's kind of how, how life goes. So I think they understand that. We've had conversations about that, and uh, for us, it's – Coaches and players, it's always good to get on the grass 
and grind through a, a Wednesday's practice in full pads. And um, now I'm here answering questions. You've made a life and a living out of game planning, preparing for lots of variables. But this is as unpredictable as adversity gets. Uh, how helpless is that as a leader? You know, there's no blueprint for this. There's no, there's no handbook that they give you for the obstacles that you occur, um, whether you're a, a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're, you know, my dad drove a truck. So there, there's no blueprint for these things. And um, I just think we all lean on each other in there. There's a lot of other coaches that we have on staff that have a lot of experiences. We have players that have gone through other things. So I think we've done a good job of communicating with each other. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, We've tried to give the best resources that we have to our players uh, within Montel and Miss Jean and people at, um, in their department, and then certainly what we've done um, as coaches. So, um, again, we'll see how we respond to, to the situation we're in. Coach, on the back end of that, uh, even despite the tragic incident, uh, how much of this can you turn this around also, like for you as a coach, but also the leaders in the locker room, how much will this be able to stress accountability against uh, amongst each other to really just hold each other accountable and make each other the best players possible on and off the field? Well, you know, we are involved in, in man building around here, and we do coach the, the man first and the player second. And, again, we, we've talked about these things um, before they've happened. Um, uh, you know, at length, I'm sure every team does. But, um, again, put himself in a bad situation, made a choice that has certainly altered his life, and, and that, that's really where we're at. So I think they all know that. I think they've seen that. Um, but we've seen it before, and obviously it, it caught up to us now. So uh, I don't really know if I answered that, but that's kind of where I'm at. Rich, with all due respect to the tragedy, setting that aside and getting to football for a second for you, you get to go home to the team that your dad loved growing up. And can you just speak to the emotions of that? I mean, what a journey for you to be able to go back there to the team your dad loved yeah. against them. Yeah, I think I made a comment that first press deal. My dad was the head coach of the Giants. He just never told anybody, and I don't think anybody got that. I think they were Googling and seeing my, my dad was the head coach of the Giants. So, um, fortunately for me, I've, I've played against them a lot now. You know, when we were in Dallas, we obviously played up there every year, and when I was in Tampa, I had a chance to play up there. So, um, for, for me, again, it's it's always exciting to go to go um, certainly home, but for us, it's a it's a huge challenge, right? Coming off a bye, everyone's written about our record. Coming off a bye has been very good um, here as of late, and, um, you know, we're going to leave on a Friday, and we're going to go up there and play a, a, a big, physical, well-coached football team. So that's really more of the challenge for me than, than I'm actually going home. Rich, after releasing Willie Sneed and, and Henry Ruggs, you guys only have, I think, three receivers on the roster right now. Have you considered either you know, making a practice squad promotion or, or adding somebody from the we, we have. We've had conversations, and, and we, have, um, we have Stoner and, and Wims, and, and um, there's, there's conversation about others as well. But uh, we're going to probably stay status quo this week, and we know we have a chance to – to possibly move Stoner up, and then we have wins. That's done a good job. We'll, we'll see how that turns out before the end of today is over, but it would be those two. Coach, earlier today, uh, Joe Judge was kind of speaking about the relationship that you guys have and said some things about you. Uh, what kind of, what would you say is uh, some things you admire about Coach Judge going to? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot about Joe. You know, I know his, his trip to, to Mississippi State and through Alabama and the coaches he's had a chance to be around. And then special teams coaches in the league, you know, we, we kind of have a um, – you know, maybe a special bond or certainly a, um, 
a connection because we go through the same the same obstacles. So uh, the only thing I'd, I'd say about Joe is um, he, he's he's a tough guy and he he comes from detailed coaches, which makes him an extremely detailed um, head football coach. You can see it on film. They do a lot of things in the kicking game. They're well coached on on defense, and then certainly I know a lot about you know Jason um, being with him for five years. So uh, my relationship with Joe goes back a long time. We have a lot of the same. Um, mentors that we, we've been around before. and So, uh, again, I appreciate all his kind words. And whatever he said about me, if it was good, I, I just take him and rewrite him about him, if you could. That would help me. Have we got a chance to talk to Henry? No, no, actually, no, we have not. Um, I don't even think anything happened until 9 o'clock this morning, so we weren't allowed to or didn't have a chance to speak with him at all yesterday. If you could speak to him, what would you say? Yeah, I'll just leave that to when that happens. When you gathered the team either last night, I guess it was virtually, or, or today, around what was what was the mood and how much of this week is managing them kind of, you know, coming to grips with everything, but also getting ready for a game and, and how do you kind of balance that? Yeah, well, the first time we, uh, we actually got our team together um, yesterday, late afternoon at 4 o'clock, we had a Zoom with the whole team. I just, we thought it was important that we get on. Uh, Zoom so they could kind of see our faces, uh, see my face, and we, we tried to deliver a message. And at that particular point, what we wanted to do, there was so much misinformation out there. We were getting so many different stories um, that what we wanted to do was give them the facts that we had at that particular time. So if you go back to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, um, that's what we did to give them some sense of what's going on, here's what I'm hearing. You know, a lot of players were texting and um, coming by the office and those things. So we, that's what we accomplished. And then Certainly what transpired last night went into the release of Henry and then this morning's uh, team meeting um, We addressed kind of what happened last night We addressed some of the new information that had come out which we thought would all come out at 9 o'clock this morning um, Which I think has so they got a chance to see that and we then we just talked about um, What our charge is going forward individually and then collectively how we can put it together for a a grinded competitive practice on a Wednesday and what it'll look like in the meeting after practice and then what it's going to look like when you go home, what does it look like when you come back in the morning. So we're just trying to stay for the most part. You know, we're trying to be where we are and um, move through this this uh, uh, as slowly as we possibly can and, and as communicative with um, some clear or clarity as to what we're expecting of each other as we keep moving forward. Some of your players have talked about when you coach them, you talk about seizing their opportunity, making the most when that opportunity comes. All right, that's Rich Passaccia, part of his press conference here. You'll have all the sound all day, all throughout the night on Raider Nation Radio. Uh, he hasn't spoke to Henry Ruggs. I thought that answer was great. He'll talk to him when he does. That's his business. On top of the preparation, the respect that he has for Joe Judge, his longtime friend, and a guy that they have the same mentors, and what he has to do to keep this team on track. What he has to do to keep this team on track going in against a wounded Giants team in the tri-state area of New York in the Meadowlands. Big game coming up. We'll wrap up the show on the other side. Uh, Derek Carr is going to speak. So I'm sure that's in Q slot, and you'll have a piece of that. Or if not all of that, I'm very interested to hear what Derek Carr has to say. So DeMond's here working on the show with me. Q's coming up next. That's a very important press conference coming up. You don't want to miss. So right here on Raider Nation Radio, the flagship on all of the Raiders' social media. And Rich Basaccia is live on Fox 5, proud partners of the Raiders. So this is a huge story today, and we're covering it the way we cover everything. 
We're brought to you by Doghouse, my new home inside Resorts World. From Monday night football, head on out to Doghouse for a great experience at Resorts World. The JT The Brick Show is brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town and an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. The JT The Brick Show is brought to you by Sam and Ash, proud partners of JT and the Raider Nation. If you get into an accident, call 702-820-1234 or go to SamAndAshLaw.com. JT, as we're wrapping it up, I want to remind you again, Wahoo's Fish Taco, Cover Lane, Friday, November 12th, 7 to 10 p.m., uh, live at Wahoo's at Eastern on their second deck, that's 7 to 10 p.m., on the upstairs patio, drink specials from a bunch of great partners here on our show, so I'll be there for that, and I love Golden Pipes. He's performing the band Cover Lane, I think you'll love it. And that will be Friday, November 12th, 7 to 10 p.m. So Rich Basaccia just spoke to the media. Derek Carr is coming up, and we'll see how the rest of the week plays out. And I look at it this way. This is uncharted territory. I have no idea what's going to happen in the game. I think if there was no Henry Rugg story and Henry came back from a quiet, away from home, very quiet, non-eventful bye week, the Raiders would win this game pretty easily, 7 to 10 points. Without Henry Ruggs, I don't know what's going to happen. Henry Ruggs is no longer a Raider. He was released by the team, and now the team has to come out there and play a really well-executed game against a desperate team that wants to win this game. They know what's happening in the Raider locker room. Giants know this. They know this team is traveling. It's their far road trip of the year to play this game, and the Raiders have to play on an early start and be fresh and ready to go. Now, physically, I'm very interested to hear what the injury report looks like. The recovery of Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller are critical. I think Waller has to have a really big game. I think a lot of passes are going to be opened underneath. I think the Giants are going to play that traditional defense that they play well off receivers, looking to not get beat over the top, everything underneath. And that plays well to Carr. Carr can throw underneath. He's got Renfro, Edwards, Waller, Foster Moreau. I think Kenyon Drake will play a really big role in my analysis going forward. If you pay him, I call him the $6 million man on the show. You pay him that type of money, he's got to step up now. And then I know the defense will be fine, but I also want to know the health of the defense. From Trayvon Mullen, I want to know what the status is of Nicholas Morrow. I want to know how guys are getting through injuries. Some of these injuries have been long. We talked about Richie Incognito. Really? How long do injuries stay? And should this team be close to 100%? I don't know. we got to wait to see the injury report and what happens now that they're back at practice. You'll get that here on Raider Nation Radio as all the insiders will join us. Vic Tate for tomorrow. Jim Plunkett on Friday. I should have another Giants insider tomorrow at some point in time. Kirk Morrison's going to join us. So busy shows and college football and a couple other opinions on other topics here in Vegas. Thanks to Damon who came in and ran the show. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. Great job. Everybody behind the scenes here, all of our proud partners. Thanks for listening. Raider Nation, tough week here. Got a game to be played against the Giants, and we'll talk about it the rest of the week.